Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hello and welcome to another edition of Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We're a podcast going beyond the bats to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response a place to tell their stories and also talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. How are you doing? I'm your co-host, Brent Hinson. And today we're kind of continuing a conversation that we initially started last week with guests Catherine Boyle and her father, Michael Boyle, who retired as a lieutenant from the Philadelphia Police Department after 30 years of service. We kind of wanted to dedicate a few episodes where we examine the dichotomy of serving the community as a whole as a member of law enforcement while also prioritizing and balancing life outside of work. You know, a lot of times we don't hear from those who are at home anxiously waiting for their loved ones to return or even sacrificing things in their own life because they know that mom, dad, husband, wife are off working for the greater good. So we wanted to get a little bit more perspective on the topic. And I think, it's just a guess here, I think our host may have signed up for more than he bargained for today because we have not one, but two members of the Warren clan with us to dish the dirts before we bring them in. Ooh, it's going to be a good one. I can feel it. Uh, Let's bring in our host, Mr. Michael Warren. First off, Mike, what are you thinking? You're bringing in, uh, you got some loaded ammo here. You know, obviously th- this is a, a, a bad sign about my decision-making ability. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Uh, but, but you know, in all seriousness, uh, the conversation we had with Catherine in particular, and, and Michael was great, but, but Catherine, when she talked about how insulated she was from what her dad did and what a great job he did. It actually set me along the the path of self-reflection on I probably didn't do a good job as he did. It just worked out that my mom uh, is up visiting from Georgia. My daughter, who's a preschool teacher, she has this particular day of the week off. And so, you know, it's just Bad decision-making and opportunity came together, (laughs) and and here we are. Well, and I don't want it to say that we're just uh, highlighting those in law enforcement. This could happen to anyone, whatever career they take on. They get just ingrained in what they're doing, and then they focus on one area of their life, and then sometimes maybe their, their family life takes a hit. But it sounds like, in our conversation with Catherine and Michael, he found a way to bring in that balance and it sounds like it came with age he he started his career uh you know in his early 30s and so he kind of had that uh that mindset that wisdom that comes along with uh getting older of knowing how to balance things well, and i think also maybe his educational background played into it a little bit you know because he had the background in, in psychology and, and perhaps he had a a, a wiser view but also a more grounded view and the negative impact that he could have while doing a good thing. And I think it did serve him. uh, It's obviously served him very well because they they were fantastic people to talk to. Now, I only know uh, Mike Warren from the past five years. And to me, you're a lovable, down-to-earth guy. I don't know what 21-year-old Mike was. So just a primer here, what's the difference between Mike now and Mike when he first started out? Besides topical hair, okay, (laughs) besides that that right there, I, I like to think that I recognize how quickly time goes and how important those moments are in our lives. What's the old saying that the the days are long, but the years are short. And and Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a platitude, but man, it really applies. And it applies not just to to our, our career, but also to our family life. I mean, you're experiencing it right now. 
Clock's Seriously? ticking with my boy, yeah. And, and so uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I'm not going to look at look at him when I say this, but Brent and I, while we have our differences, we also share a common trait. And, and that common trait is that we're criers, especially when we start talking about family. <laughs> You're going to have to pull me together at some point today. Just saying. You, you know, when I talk about uh, my family, especially my son, I can't. It's, it's something I can't stop but it i just get overwhelmed with emotion for some reason and and maybe that's through time through experience i don't know but you you recognize that that time is short and you try to get all those moments in it's really really important and, and unfortunately it's often what, what what do they say it's not what we do that we often regret later in life it's what we didn't do mm-hmm. that, that hindsight 2020 quite honestly it it, it haunts me and so I, I was kind of kind of pissed at Michael that he seemed to do such a better job <laughs> at this that, that in our conversation. I think that that these two ladies are going to bring some unique perspectives. And, and quite honestly, uh, being very vulnerable, I think that you're going to hear where someone who didn't do quite as good a job as Michael did because they they, they were fantastic. Uh, me, uh, not always. Well. You don't know what you don't know when you're going through things. Certainly, I've made my fair share of mistakes, but you know what? I've learned from them that's made me a better person, and I would think that's probably the, the same thing for a lot of people, and that's how you get better. So and that's what we're doing here now is we want people to listen to these podcasts and think, well, maybe that's how I am. That's how I'm acting around my family. How can I get better, and how can I maintain that work-life balance? I think that's the important part of this uh, episode. But, but you, you know, I, I look at these episodes kind of like the ones we did with, like, uh, Joe Willis, where we start talking about mental health. So hopefully one of our listeners, they hear it and they say, oh, so I'm not the only one that feels that way. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps that's what they'll get out of these episodes here to say, oh, man, so I'm not the only one that struggles. Or I'm right. not the only one that sometimes feels like a failure. And you said it perfectly again. Mm-hmm. Learning from our mistakes, expecting the the, uh, mistake-free life is something we're never going to achieve, but we can achieve not continuing to make the same mistakes. Yeah. I'm going to flip the script on you just a little bit right now because usually you say, let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, uh, since I didn't get detailed bios on your mom (laughs) and your daughter and they're sitting right beside you, I'm going to flip the script and say, why don't you... Why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest today, Mike? All right. So so with me today, first of all, I have the, the first lady in my life, and, and that's my mom, uh, Sarah Green. L- listen, I was the first in a lot of things in the family, okay? You know, uh, on that side of the family, I was the first grandchild. I was my parents' first child. Susan, when you listen to this, understand I'm still a favorite, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but Sarah, uh, I think she brings a really unique perspective to things because not only does she have a son that's a police officer, but she has a dad and an uncle and another uncle. At one point, she had a nephew, uh, all in law enforcement. I'm interested because we've talked a little bit about it, but I want to know what that stress is like and how it's different from the perspective of a, of a child versus one that has a child. Right. I think that would be unique. So Sarah Green is my mom. She's here with us. I also have my daughter. And thankfully, she's my only daughter. I have four kids, but she's the only daughter. Where does she fall in line? Where, she, she's, she's my second kid. 
Okay. Second kid, you know, I'm going to say this and it'll make Thomas mad, but that's okay. Uh, my daughter, Laura Warren, Harmon, okay, because <laughs> she got married, okay. <laughs> Laura, literally her entire life, I was a police officer. Uh, she was actually born when I was in the police academy. And, and so she's known nothing different. She will probably be the one that will tell you, be able to tell you where I failed. Uh, but she's a preschool teacher now. She's doing fantastic work with kids. And you and I both believe that if we're going to change society for the better, that's where we had to make the change. And so she's working towards that. So Laura Harmon is, is here with us today. <laughs> Can I start? I, I want to talk with your mom extensively. I want to start with Laura really quickly because when I first became a dad, I didn't, again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I was much more stern. I was harsh. I was... You got to do it this way, this way, and this way. And at some point, I softened and I backed off. And I thought, you know what? Having a child is an amazing thing. And I want to enjoy that time. Did you see your dad soften over the years or did he stay the same? Or what was that like for you? Well, he definitely softened. Probably when I was in high school, I would say, is when he started to soften. And what types of things did you, when you say he softened, what could you see in him that changed a little bit? Well, when I was growing up, you know, it was always this way this is the right way. And when I got older, it was more like, okay, you can try it this way. It's not the way I would have done it, but you can try it that way. And always supported me doing that. Now, now Brent, I got to throw something in here because my mom had a tremendous influence on that. And, and I often talk about this in classes that I teach that as my mom has gotten older, uh, she has become more retrospective in her thinking. And she often tells me that, that one of the things that she regrets most about the way that she raised my sister and I was that she gave us the straight and narrow line to walk. And she said, what I should have done was to give you two lines and told you to stay between it. Because you and your sister are different people. And you, see what you did there between yeah. the lines. Yeah, see? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not a subscriber, please make sure you click on the subscribe button to Between the Lines podcast. My sister and I are different people. We're going to be at different points on the spectrum. But as long as we're in there, when she said that, I was like, oh, man, I, I got to change that. Because I was doing the same straight and narrow. And uh, it, it took a while, but it did end up benefiting Michael and Laura, my, my two oldest kids. Well, we mimic what we come into contact with. So if our parents act a certain way, odds are we're going to mimic some of that behavior. If I can uh, just pivot to you, Sarah, mom, I, it's hard. I feel so weird calling you Sarah. So I want to no, call it's you mom. Fine. Okay. <laughs> if I can pivot to you with your, your father was in law enforcement, your son, your uh, husband, correct? All of them? No, not her husband, just okay. dad, two uncles, a nephew, and her son. So that's a life that you were really encased in for quite a few years. How was it like being insulated in that world? How do you uh, try to navigate it, not being involved in the police community and just kind of separating the two? It can be easy and it can be hard. As the daughter of a police officer people, especially boys, looked at you differently. <laughs> Believe me. In a and good way or a bad way, because I wouldn't want to mess with a police officer's daughter. That's right. See? Okay. I, I wanted to say one thing, though. Growing up as the child of a police officer can be hard, because as a younger child, 
we finally got to an age where we understood what was going on out there at night when he was working. And that made it really hard. The worst time I can remember was a prison break. And they had a lot of them loose out there. And my dad was out there looking for them. And it scared us. But we didn't want to scare our mom. So the kids, as kids, we slept with with screwdrivers and hammers under our pillow, thinking we could protect her if they came to our house. Wow. And, and, and that right there, I think, is important to point out. Dad, Pop, was what we call my, my grandpa. Pop is out protecting society. And yet the, the, the kids at home felt unprotected. You know, it probably wasn't as extreme as sleep, sleeping with a screwdriver, but you can see you have to choose one master. Man can only serve one master. And, and trying to fix it, I think, is difficult. And I think that would probably, and I don't know, different generations take on things differently, but if it were me, that would really start to play with my head a little bit where I would say, what am I doing here? I'm not... I'm out protecting society, the community as a whole, but I'm not able to protect my family. That would start to play tricks on me. But, you know, in a way, it's not that bad, though, because I thought it was pretty good that we were enough to stand up and protect our mother, though. Now, Mom, I, I got to throw this at you because Mama, my, my, my mm-hmm. mom's mom, was a school teacher. I would say that was almost a double whammy for you that because you can't get away with nothing out on the street because pops out there and you can't get away with nothing at school because mama's there too. And so it's like, it's gotta be what like a, a paranoid person. I feel like somebody's watching me. <laughs> Guess what? They were. Well, as a teenager, you knew they were. And like you said, though, a boy thinks twice before he asks a girl out whose father is out on the road watching. <laughs> well, and that, that'll, that'll dovetail nicely into asking Laura some questions. So what types of things did you run into with Big Mike? Because I, I got to say, if, uh, if I find out that Mike Warren is your dad, I think that teddy bear of a guy, bring him on over to the house. But maybe that wasn't the case for you. So was it difficult growing up trying, you know, to navigate as you're getting older, going out and, and, you know, trying to socialize? Well, I always started off when I talked about my dad. I was like, yeah, he's a police officer just to give them a fair warning. But I think with all my friends and anybody that I dated, he was always welcoming to a point (laughs) then i'm a much better actor than i give myself credit for i probably should be on strike right now with the the sag people you know but but, you you know what though When, when i thought about my mom okay my mom has two brothers an older brother and a younger brother and it from my perspective that would have been more intimidating than what laura's boyfriends would have been by me but that, that's just, but that's from my perspective. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If I if I have a police officer dad and I'm going up to the door because I I took a I took the uh, head football coach's daughter to homecoming one time. That was the scariest thing. Walking up to that door, putting a corsage on. So I can't imagine walking up to a yeah to a policeman policeman's daughter's house. So that would got to be a little intimidating. Well, I have to throw this out there, okay? Because Laura not only has a dad who's a police officer, but her stepmom is also a police officer and still a current police officer. And and so I would like to ask Laura, how was that different? Dad versus stepmom as the police officer. 
she let me go on a lot more ride-alongs than you did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's because I didn't like the screaming in the passenger seat. I did not scream. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I will take that a step further. Now, now Laura's a bit of a drama queen. I, I believe I told you folks about how uh, she found, you know, she let me know that she was going to see Taylor Swift. You know, she called me. Dad, dad. Okay. It's an ex- I mean, I would have had the same reaction. <laughs> You know, it's it's same reaction as boy bands too, right? I mean, going Mm -hmm, exactly. But when I look at my grandpa, okay, he has always been a bigger than life figure to me, and so I can't imagine being in the same class that he was as far as intimidation when it came to that aspect right there. One of my biggest regrets, Brent, is that my grandpa passed away before I became a police officer. And oftentimes throughout my career, I would think, man, I wonder what what Pop would be thinking about right now. And uh, He would have been so proud. He was such a good dude. But I do have to ask this. Mom, I want you to describe uh, for our listeners what it was like for Dad when he met Uncle Earl. Uncle Earl Hamrick was the sheriff I was telling you folks about uh, in Twig County, Georgia. Now, what was what was that experience like? We were sitting on a bar stool in a barbecue place that, that my other uncle ran, and the uncle that was a sheriff walked in, and the first thing he did was grab Don by the shoulder and had him on his knees on the floor. <laughs> It's like a, a Balkan death grip. Yes. And he was scared <laughs> to fight back, <laughs> you know. But even my husband, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, we were dating in high school. And he would tell you right quick, it made a lot of difference because he knew my dad. He respected my dad. And he wasn't going to deal with him as a cop. Well, I want to ask both of you this. So we're going to need an answer for both of you. <laughs> what was it like? when your dad wasn't able to be there on some significant event, whether it was a birthday or Christmas or, or, or whatever, what was that like? We grew up knowing that anything, any celebration could take place anytime in the day or night. And if, if we couldn't have Christmas until my dad got home at 1230 or 1 o'clock in the morning, that's when we had Christmas. We didn't think anything about it being different or bad or anything like that. It was just our life. Laura? I would agree with that. But I also remember in high school with sports games, you and Julie would both show up and stop by just for a couple minutes in your uniforms. So you still like made the effort to mm-hmm. come to the game. And that was not an attempt to intimidate the referees. <laughs> it just it was a lunch break. Well, let me ask you this, Mike, just to follow up on that. You probably want to stay for the whole game. You probably want to be there on Christmas morning. We hear their perspective, and they're very understanding. How difficult was it for you, or maybe it wasn't difficult, to not have the quote-unquote normal experience? It was difficult because there are these two parts of your life that are competing against each other. And they're both incredibly important because I I have my blood family who is depending on me and who's wanting me there. But there were often times where my blue family needed me there because I was a senior officer or because because I I was a sergeant uh, and they needed me. 
and, and it's like these these you know they talk about the the, the devil and the the angel on your shoulder trying to point well it, it was almost like i had two angels and, and trying to decide between them and it's very difficult very difficult it's one of those things where i'm trying to wrap my head around it as just a regular civilian and it's i i love you and aaron and brandon but if i'm not coming into work one day i'm sorry guys i got stuff with my family going on so mm-hmm. it's hard for me to really understand i know it's much more intense with your um your blue family it's almost a uh, apples and oranges kind of thing but there was one instance, okay, when I, when I was working with DEA, my daughter, she, she didn't have a true grasp of what I was doing and the people that I was dealing with at the time. And uh, we had made the decision. Uh, we had this one suspect in this, uh, this narcotics investigation when I was assigned to DEA that we had made the decision when he came to town, when he left, we were going to follow him wherever he went. And so we always had a suitcase in the back of our car. And I remember it very clearly because it was, it was close. It was close to Halloween, which is another significant event, right? Uh, I had worked all day. I, I was 13 hours into my shift at this point. He starts packing up his vehicle. And so we throw together a, a hasty four car, uh, two people in each car surveillance. And we start following him. And he leaves Detroit. And so you can imagine trying to explain to my daughter, hey, I'm not going to be home tonight. Well, well, when are you going to be home? I really don't know. Well, where are you going? <laughs> also something I don't know. And in that particular instance right there, we followed this guy all the way to Tucson, Arizona. And, and we spent time out there. But I can remember the urgency getting back to be there for Halloween. It was just devastating, you know, because think about that, Brent. You, you got the time difference too, right? And, and so so my kids were younger. They go to bed earlier. And so try, trying to be able to get time to call them and talk to them and maintain that connection and let them know they're important to me. But I'm also following this cartel guy around. And, and so right. th- there's that aspect of it as well. Well, let me ask you this, Laura, because I think, and this will go to really all of you, but you can kind of touch on it. In raising my son, I've always said that communication is key. I've told him, I said, you can ask me anything, and I'm going to give you an honest answer, whether it's good, bad, or whatever. How important is communication between you and your dad? Are you able to talk about those things, or did it take time to be able to do that sort of thing to where you're able to say, okay, dad, I really need to talk about your career and how it's affecting me? Well, his career always fascinated me. So it's very easy to talk to him about it, especially when I got older, I would ask him probably a million questions about everything that was going on or what he was doing all the time. Brent, think about this. And this is one I can remember this vividly. There was a, an investigation, a death investigation that I went on with Victor Laurie or one of our, our previous uh, guests. This guy, had, it, was, it was in July. It, is, it was the hottest week of summer. He's inside a vehicle and he's been down for at least five days. So the smell is terrible. Well, I mean, j- just think about this. If it's the hot, what, what happens to your pores where your pores open up? Well, if it stinks outside, I guess what's getting into your pores. And it, we were around th- this, this body for a long time. And literally, I smelled like death. When I get home, I, I've got these two kids that want to hug me. 
how do you explain to a little kid? Listen, I can't hug you because I've got body cooties on me right now, <laughs> you know, and, and because I, I smell bad. And, and it, but you can't you can't explain to them this decomposing body was literally. You, you know what I mean? That I just right right. It's a hard. I don't I don't know how how to balance that. I still don't know yeah. how to balance that. Right. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Sarah, with a father and uncles and law enforcement, was there ever a time when Mike came to you and he said, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve in the armed forces and then I'm going to transition into law enforcement? Was there ever a time where you said, uh, you might want to rethink that, buddy. I've seen how this career is. Or were you all in on law enforcement and you were championing him? No, I was behind him all the way because to me, it might have been a different life from people around me, but it was my life, and he was a part of it. And I'm going to ask Laura something. When I was a teenager and dating, if I was going out with a boy that my father hadn't met, if he was at work, the guy would come get me, we'd leave, and I guarantee you within five minutes, you'd see the blue lights. <laughs> and he would pull him over to meet him. I, I, I did not ever do that. Oh. I can't say there wasn't surveillance involved, but there was no <laughs> there was no activation of emergency oh, lights. Oh, no. Pop would put that blue light on. and It's one of those things, and, and I have to give my mom a lot of credit. My mom had a big impact on the way that I turned out, the way that I think. My mom started back to college when I started college. Oh, wow. Why in the world would she put that kind of pressure on me? I don't. I don't. Need, I don't need to be comparing hey. report cards with my mom. Say, Mike, nobody told me I was jailbait when I went off to college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike, was, Mike he was a little bit young going to college, but but it, it's like, the, but that thing right there. You know, I, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning. We've talked about it on the podcast a lot, and, and she had a lot to do with that. It's funny generationally how things are passed from one generation to the other. You know, I look at my grandparents, police officer, school teacher. And then I look now, I end up being a police officer. My daughter's a teacher. I think it's a reminder to folks like you and I that are parents that we have tremendous impact generationally on what happens in our family. It's so funny. I, I would hear people say, I, my mother-in-law would say often that she would see her bad traits come through in her daughter. I would agree with her at times. <laughs> but you're you're right that you have to be cognizant of what you say because children are always listening and they're picking up on things. That's that's and that's an absolute fact. They don't forget anything. No. So so here's a question for you two. All right. Because we, we, we talked about this a couple times on the podcast. In in law enforcement training, it, it's a very fine line between having our people ready to handle a bad guy and getting them thinking that there's a bad guy behind every bush becoming paranoid. How, how did you handle knowing that, that day after day your loved one was going trying to find the bad guy without becoming paranoid in your personal life? I think the older I got, the more accepting I was of what my dad did. Did you ever walk down the street, though, and say, hey, that guy over there looks suspicious. Uh, Laura, More I can tell name. by the look on your face that you're going to have a different answer. <laughs> yes, I did. I would always be looking. Brent, you and Laura share something in common as well. 
Crime Show Junkie. Crime Show Junkie. There we go. There we go. My reason for watching, I've, I've talked about this before, and it may be different from hers, is I'm curious about the human condition as to what makes a person go a certain way. You know, why are they born evil or does a certain event change them? So I'm always curious about that. I am the same way with that. She watches it because she's nosy. Okay. <laughs> and, and seriously, I, I think she started watching it because that was a a way that she could fill in the blanks. You know, that she, she has this limited information about what I do, about what Julie does. And, and this allows for a filling in the blank because we'd get mad. Okay. <laughs> because even as a teenager, she would ask questions. Even if there wasn't operational security, you had to be concerned about, you know, that if you got this investigation going on and now your teenage daughter is putting stuff on Twitter or on Facebook <laughs> or something like that, there still is that, that, that desire to protect them as much as you possibly can from the evils of society. Do, do you feel like you were protected, Laura? I do. At some point, you had to start thinking adult thoughts and start saying, hey, this, this, isn't, this isn't playing in kindergarten. It's not playing police. They are police. And what they're doing is serious. Did you have to grow up a little bit faster than maybe some other folks that you went to school with? I think so. Um, especially with Julie, she would be more open to talk about things where you were trying to hide things from me. Not like to keep, like you're trying to keep me safe from like what goes on into the world. So I think when Julie started talking about it more, you would talk about it more. So for our listeners, what we had, uh, it would have been nice to have Julie here to have that, that other perspective. Uh, but she's out running a, a youth academy right now, a week long youth leadership academy. And they're out today on this adventure thing like confidence building team building things you know do zip lines and all that kind of stuff it was easier i think for you to talk to her than it was for you to talk to me yes because she's also a girl so it was easier <laughs> <laughs> she she understood me you kind of touched on this earlier mike and i just wanted to expand on it at what point because i, I kind of know your background and we're similar at what point does faith come in and you just say i've got to let go and i can't control once he leaves this house, I can't control what happens. I just have to have the faith to say, you know what, he'll come home safely and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, it, it does. It's hard, but you do finally get to that point. But Mike was talking about this week and the influence that law enforcement officers have on this world never stops. My grandson was invited to come up and go to this week and he wants to be a, a law enforcement officer too and a lot of it is because of his uncle mike i'm struggling for the word here to try and explain it because i don't want to say it's stoic or fatalistic that believed that hey you know what there are some things that are beyond my control you know, this is a dangerous, dangerous job. I can control it through training hard and, and being prepared for it. But there's still an element. Uh, I can't remember which guest it was. Uh, they say, hey, you know, the thing we often forget is the bad guy always gets a vote in what happens too. Right. And I'll, I'll be very blunt. I, I understand why my grandfather was protective of my mom. Because I'm the same way with my daughter. Because I, I, I know that there is evil out there. And, and I don't want this guy that seems like he's nice. I don't want to take it for granted that he's a good guy. 
know, that it's not some type of facade. There's an old saying that says, uh, if there's to be war, let it come to me so that my children may live safe. My, my belief was always, hey, if somebody's got to encounter the bad guy, let it be me and not one of my family members. That leads into a question for you, Mike, is so if you're out on a scene and you're seeing terrible things, obviously you're going to see young people, you're going to see someone, hey, that reminds me of my mother, that reminds me of my daughter. How do you disassociate that once you take the uniform off? Well, I will be very vulnerable and blunt here. I didn't always do it very well. And uh, th- there was an incident a couple years before I retired. And I remember I was sitting in the sergeant's office and dispatch comes out and uh, they sent a couple people down to an apartment complex uh, in our city. And the call initially came out that we had two kids that drowned in a swimming pool. And so, you know, I go busting down there. I was one of the first two on scene. And it turns out it wasn't two kids. It was actually a dad and a little boy. We start uh, myself and a firefighter. And uh, one of the ambulance folks, we started working on the kid and we're we're doing CPR on this kid and we're taking rounds and we're working. I mean, literally it had to be, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes. We worked on him while the others are working on the dad and they, they were going to try and call it there. And I said, listen, you're transporting this kid because this kid was about the same age as my youngest kid. We are not going, this kid is not going to die on the concrete beside the swimming pool. It's not going to happen. And so we never escort ambulances because oftentimes it creates more danger. But that, that one, we, we, we were going to do it. We were going to close down intersections. And my car happened to be the only one that was clear. So I jumped in and I start, you know, I'm going ahead and I'm sitting in my vehicle right in the middle of the intersections and I'm shutting it down. And then we get to the hospital as, as I jump out, the paramedics said, jump on the side of the bed, start start doing CPR because they're running, they're pushing this kid in. And when you come in the, the room, you go over to the left and there's this big double room and that's where they take this kid and they start working on him. Well, maybe about 10 minutes after we get there, dad comes in and they put him in the other part of this room and they kept working and the decision was made that they were going to keep working uh, because mom was on the way. When mom got there, a nurse and a doctor came out and they explained what was going on. And they said, um, hey, listen, we're going to give this one more round. But if we don't get any result, we're going to have to call it. And they did. And they ended up having to call it. And I remember standing there with this lady. And, and this lady, her entire world was in that room. The only relatives she had in America, because she's originally from India, were in that room and they were both dead. They did a very good job. They, after they called it, they, they cleaned everything up and they, they, uh, the nurse and a chaplain came out and says, ma'am, would you like to come in and say goodbye to your son? And, uh, she goes, yes. And so she comes in and so it's me and the nurse and the chaplain and we're sitting there and this lady was tiny. And so she sits down in this chair and they grab, you know, those, those, uh, those warming blankets that they have where they put in there and they wrap this kid up and, and they, they give it to her, give him to her. And, uh, she, she sits there and she starts rubbing his face and she goes, you know, uh, please come back, please come back. Let's go play. And she talked to him for a couple of minutes and then she'd look at one of us and she goes, please just try one more, one more. And then she did it to me and I'm like, ma'am, listen, we did everything we possibly could, everything. And then she'd say it to the nurse and the nurse would say the same thing. 
So finally, after about half an hour, the nurse says, ma'am, would you like to say goodbye to your husband? And she said, yeah, but I, I, I don't want to leave my son alone. And so I said, well, ma'am, I said, if you trust me, I said, I'll hold your son for you while you do that. Once everything was, we finally got some family friends there. But I can remember walking out in the hallway, the nurse that had been in there with me, she sees me and she starts bawling. And of course, that means I'm going to start bawling. You know, we give each other a hug and, and, and I try, but, but the kid was the same age as my kid. And I didn't realize how much it affected me until a couple months later, we had one of our employees was injured. And so I went to the hospital, follow on the ambulance there. And that big room I talked about, that was the trauma room. And so when she came in, they, they went to wheel her in and I start to follow her in there. And man, my heart just started pounding. Just bam, bam, bam. And I'm just, and I'm like, son of a gun. And I'm like, I couldn't figure it out. Then I'm like, oh, that's why. And so when you talk about disassociating it from your family, I don't think that you can actually do that because I'm a big believer in that we don't really have a business life and a personal life. We have a life and each of them have impact on the other. How do you explain that to a kid? You know, I went home that night and my, my, my youngest is Lucas and man, I grabbed Lucas and I'm holding tight. <laughs> And how do you explain to him what is going on? And what, what, you know, I love dad, but what the heck is going on here? You know? Well, I think uh, based on the things that we've talked about with other guests, it's probably gotten a little bit better as far as agencies offering support when officers go through that sort of thing. Let me ask you this, because I don't know, and you may not know the answer either. What types of support do they offer family members of law enforcement who have to deal with their loved ones going through a certain situation. Start historically for a second, uh, because when my grandpa w- was was doing this job, it was the suck it up buttercup, you know, let, let's go to right. work. Different and, time. I think we've gotten a lot better. The officers, I'm not sure that everybody has gotten a lot better with the families. To be very blunt with you, I think maybe we do a good job as individual agencies with an individual officer's family for a period of time when something bad happens. But it's only when something really bad happens that we do that. And then there's that fall off. You know, everybody, life is busy. And I don't think there's that continued support. I do think we need to do a better job. Because you may go through a certain situation and then you may get some therapy or some support or some counseling and you deal with that. But then months down the line, something else happens. And you know what? It triggered. You're, that reminds me what happened before. And then you're back in the thick of things. So it takes time to work through these things. And what purpose of doing this is trying to get some perspective from all those involved in a family environment. And hopefully we can provide some resources to where we can find a way that people, if they're interested, they can find a way to get the help that's needed that's out there. They can talk through it books, whatever the case may be, so they can get some understanding on how to deal with those certain uh, circumstances. Well, I'm going to throw this to my mom, because what happens at home can have an impact on what happens at work. And Pop had that happen with him. My grandfather wasn't ashamed. He wasn't scared to tell people uh, that he was an alcoholic. But he reached a point where he said, I got to make a change. Mm -hmm. How did he make that change? A friend stepped up 
and got him involved in in AA and got all of us. I mean, we all went to AA. He worked, he worked, and he worked. And he got to a point where he wouldn't even take cough medicine or anything like that because he did not want to be tripped back in. But the big thing to him was the people that stepped up and walked with him through this that made the difference. That's one of the things that Brent and I really try to advocate through through this podcast right here is that if we make it okay for people to step up and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this right here. You know me and music, the impact, the emotional impact, you know, the, that song, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Yeah. That thing right there, no, I'm going to help you carry the load. Joe Willis, he, he, he does this, this rucksack thing, and, and he tries to talk about the load that is shared isn't as heavy for either. Having someone step up like that in absence of the agency mm-hmm. stepping up made all the difference for him. It did, and it made him want to do the same thing with other people, too. You start to have a greater compassion for your fellow man. Yeah, he wanted to be the person that stepped forward and started the upholding of these people. And all his life he did, all over the country, he would go and talk to people about it. But we have to accept that we're not all perfect, and we need to be supported to help with the areas we need help in. Brent and I, we, we interviewed uh, Justin Witt uh, of the Louisville Metro Police Department, and, and he talked about how night after night they had to send their, their people out to the line during the riots and, and recognizing that they weren't prepared for it and also recognizing the tremendous impact it was going to have on them. It, when you look back on that episode, do, do you do you kind of ask yourself, now, man, what did it do to those people's family? Right. Because yeah. because they knew they were going out there night after night and standing those lines, and that could not have been healthy for them. And that's a thing that I, I'm not law enforcement. I don't know the inner workings of it, but I think this type of thing of helping officers prepare for life outside of work at home is just as integral and important as firearms training. That's true. You know, I know there's not every agency can afford to do that sort of thing. But it's just as important. You want a well-balanced officer. And if you got somebody that's on tilt or relying on alcohol or substances, that can't be good for your agency. So it's it seems uh, smart to do it up front so we can set a foundation for them for success as they go through their career. Well, and here's my, my every episode mention. Greg Williams, one of his favorite uh, sayings, left a Greg podcast, it is that, hey, you're going to pay at some point. The question is, do you want to pay up front in prevention costs or do you want to pay when those things go sideways, when there's not that balance and now someone goes off the deal? Either way, as an agency, you're going to pay. But are, are you going to do it willingly for, for the good of your people or are you going to be forced to do it because your your, your people jack something up? And, right. and I think that's the way we have to start looking at it. And, and again, going back to I love Chip Hugh. And I've been a big fan, you know, seeing people as people, not as objects, changes the way that we deal with people. But too often that is focused on dealing with people externally. We need to do a better job of doing that internally. And I would propose to you, based upon this conversation and the conversation last week, that that also has to extend to the family of the first responder in order to have its full effect. And I think it's rightfully so that 
we thank those first responders, those in law enforcement and, and, and the armed forces. We thank them for their service, but sometimes often is lost is their family standing right beside them. Mm-hmm. And we're silent when we give out those compliments where they're in that battle right along with them. They may not be on the front lines, may not be wearing the uniform, but they are feeling the pain and the struggle and uh, the anxiety they have that same sort of thing. And so we need to extend that thanks to them for going on that battle with, with you. Well, Mom, as we're wrapping things up here, if you could have gone back in a time machine and you could have changed it, would you have changed, if you could, Pop's career or my career? No. No way. Would, would you have changed the impact that it had on Pop or I? No, I I would hope that I would be more support for you in the job that you do, because y'all have to understand, you really do give a gift to the community. We've actually had people on here that have described it as a mission field, and I love that that analogy. The community is the mission field. Laura, would you change it? No. What, what, What would you do differently? If you could change it, if you had that power, what would you do? I think I would change the communication a little more but it's thinking about how technology is now than how it was when i was younger it's easier to communicate now than it was when i was younger (laughs) brent i'm so old i'm so old okay that i used to carry a roll of quarters in my my bag so so that if i wanted to call home i could find a payphone and i could go and do that right i can remember my first cell phone Okay, that this thing, what was it was terrible. A brick. Yeah, and guess how many minutes I got per month? Probably like thirty, yeah, twenty-five to be exact. <laughs> and so, yeah. so it's like I get one minute per shift. When I call, don't answer the first time I call. Okay, and I'm going <laughs> to hang up before the answering machine answers because that charges you a minute, right? <laughs> and so, so, so when I call. Uh, Michael and Laura, you be ready. I'm going to tell you good night and I love you. Hey, how are you guys doing? How was school today? Okay, it was really good. Okay, I love you guys. Make sure you go to bed. Bye, bye. You know, and that's the way it worked. And technology has made it easier for the good. But on the flip side of that, though, it's made it worse for our law enforcement families because now our first responders are, are tied to that device and work can get a hold of them. So everything has a cost. And I will say this to Laura, um, I know as And I'm not going to ask age. I know that I don't (laughs) ask females ages, but I will say this. Um, As I've gotten older, I remember looking back at adults in my life who were hard on me and they really pushed me to certain things. And I was uh, not necessarily angry, but I'm, you know, kind of resentful. But as I've gotten older, with hindsight, I see the reasoning behind it. And I'm much more uh, softer when I look towards them. And I think they were setting me up for success. I just didn't realize it at the time. So I would hope that you would look at at his sacrifice in the line of duty as a way to set you up for success in your life. Brent, I, I can I can agree in part with what you said. Okay, because look, looking back, my sister deserved everything that she freaking got from my parents. Okay, I on the other hand was a pleasure. Okay, and it was unwarranted. I'm just going to say that. Yes, but you know we we talk about. All the things that we have today, the communications that we have and all. But back when, and it was before you were along, my little brother was at home alone with my mother one time. And she had an aneurysm and had a stroke. 
he did the only thing he knew what to do. He called the patrol station. My, my mommy is six, send my daddy home now. Hmm. And that saved her life, and it saved us too. Because when one of ours calls, everybody's going. Mm-hmm. Everybody's mm-hmm. going. I think what the important thing we'll do for this particular episode is I'm going to try to find some resources to put in there in case some folks are listening and they're thinking, you know what, maybe I'm I'm not the best father, husband, daughter, mother, and I'm, I'm taking my family for granted and neglecting them, and I need to be a better, I need to find a better work-life balance. Uh, we'll refer you back to uh, Catherine Boyd's website, and, and she can put you in contact with some people. She can work with you. We'll find some other resources we can put in the show notes because I think it's important. When people listen to these episodes, hopefully the takeaway is how can we get better? Sure, we bring up the topic. We talk about it, but we just don't want to end there. We want to have that application and moving forward. Looking back at my grandpa, he recognized he needed to be better. He made the effort to do so. And for anybody who's listening, hey, listen, you probably could be better. Don't don't be satisfied with what you are now. Understand it's going to take work, but it's work that is worth doing. And if you're willing to lay your life down on the line for the community, then you should be willing to live your life for your family appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the appropriate way to end this episode is by me saying to both Sarah and Laura, Thank you for being the daughter, the mother of those in law enforcement. Thank you for your service. You're the ones that were there at home waiting for them to arrive home safely. So sometimes, as we said earlier, uh, your contributions don't get recognized as much as as others. So thank you guys for enduring the same things that they have to go through on an emotional level. And thank you for being a part of this episode to give us some insight, at least for me to learn a little bit more about the guy we know as Mike Warren. I was hoping for some more like uh, Jerry Springer type stuff, but this was really good, therapeutic. So thank you ladies so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to get to know you. Thank y'all. Thank you.